This is CliffCentral.com. What if you were told you were going to live to 200 years old? Imagine living to 200 but not feeling over 100 years old. As Sunlam turns 100, they're looking ahead to the future. The 200-year-old is a future-facing podcast based on leading science and expert opinion, featuring the voices of Nambita Mpulwana and Tapela Mokwena. It's the story of Lesedi and Daba, told in the year 2218, and it's a podcast that pulls back the curtain to the world of the future. Visit the 200-year-old.co.za to listen, or find out more on cliffcentral.com. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Lubim Boyer-Arnold. And once again, welcome to Future CEOs for this session of Startup of the Week. He's an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur, a storyteller of note, a limitless thinker, an activist, top CEO under 14 Africa, the CEO and co-founder, Shukri Tovi, Startup of the Week. Welcome to Future CEOs. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here. So listen, I, 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 I heard an Islamic saying and um, I really thought that you would appreciate it. So it goes like this and tell me your thoughts. Seek knowledge. From the cradle to the grave. What do you think? Absolutely. The, the first words of the Quran is actually read. Read in the name of your Lord. Um, so, yeah, I think. And, and nowadays, I think, you know, this idea of continuous learning and things is um, even more prevalent. So, absolutely. I'm, that's an amazing uh, nice. way to start the show. Nice. Yeah? Eh? Very nice. So, um, because it's me, I, I, I really like to do things differently. And there's like, I prepared for you and all that jazz, but I, I really just want to be real with you. So I really want to start with Unwritten because really that is something that truly resonates with me as an actress, um, as a social entrepreneur, and as an athlete. And I'm an endurance athlete. So one of my biggest dreams and one of my biggest missions is to be the first black woman from South Africa to summit Everest in the oh, yeah. years. And the story being, um, I, I climbed Kilimanjaro, uh, Kilimanjaro for the United Nations for, on International Women's Day. We summited with seven Nepali women, it being um, um, United Nations. And they were telling me stories about Kathmandu in Nepal and the traditional wisdom which you speak about and which you showcase us in and written is just so drawing to me and something, I love religion and I love um, truths, seeking of truths. So I would like to start there. The Unwritten. Tell us about it and that journey. So, first of all, you're going to do it. Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, I'm, I'm with you 100% of the way. So, good oh luck with that journey. You said it here. I said it you here. Said we go, it here. Right? Okay. We're going to speak this into oh reality. Oh, my gosh. Right? I, yeah, we're going to chat nicely. We, I can feel it. <laughs> yes. So, you know, Unwritten comes from a place of... Of sort of, you know, we, we as CEOs, as business people, as professionals, we, we go from A to B to C as quickly as we can and we, and we need to figure out like why. And for me, it was a question of why. Like, how do I go somewhere that's different? I'm tired of sort of, you know, listening to the same authors and the same writers telling me how to live my life, how to save my money, what to do in business tools, business tools. Yeah. And I was like, mm. I just want to actually figure things out from a place of some old world wisdom. And, um, Nepal, and I'm sure you would know is was sort of described to me as a museum without walls where there was this lived heritage and everything and and i went i'd never been there i've traveled you know to many other countries around the world and i went there and it was a deeply uh, personal and spiritual experience that in some way i managed to bring that across on camera and as an actress you'd know 
that you lose something when there's a camera in the room. And I think I'd be failing and I'd be dishonest if I said we didn't. So, so some of those discussions when you, you've just walked all the way up a mountain and you're, you're speaking to a, a llama in a monastery, oh my God. the last thing you really want is a camera, right? Absolutely. And so the style of it was very much as in, you know, not invasive as we possibly could have it. And just to, to really have time to, to try and unlock knowledge and wisdom from, from sources that people don't typically, you know, have, have access to. So it was a deeply humbling experience for me. Um, and, you know, I think it was, it was a counterbalance to what it takes to be a CEO in the world today. Because, yeah, you need to be able to drive, you know, um, strategy and be able to get things done. But if you break down before anybody else does and, and, and you can't sort of internalize that, then what's the use of that? You know? And so um, a couple of, uh, you know, two years on now, it's something that still lives with me every single day. So this was a two-year-ago uh, journey. What was the uh, most deeply lesson learned that you took away from it and interpreted that into the business world? I think, you know, the biggest thing was that in going there, I, I sort of critique myself in the film and I say, I was a spiritual tourist. I went there in search of some sort of enlightenment or some sort of aha moment. Yeah. And what you find is that actually there's beauty in, in everything. There's beauty that. in the smallest things. I there's beauty that. in, you know, um, eating something with somebody, you know. Just simple pleasures. Just the simple pleasures. And so for me, it's about sort of understanding that even on an organizational level is to respect people for who they are Absolutely. and not have this very sort of um, top-down view of what's happening. Speak to people on their level. Yeah, No, absolutely. condescending. I love that. And then, um, so it won the Van Gogh? Van Gogh? Van Gogh. Van Gogh. We would say Van Gogh. Oh, yeah, man, hey, man, man. Yeah, unless, <laughs> unless can you explain a bit of Nederlands spreken, right? Hey, so. man. You, you know, so w- w- what did that do for you as... A filmmaker, because sometimes, you know, as filmmakers and as creatives, something, sometimes those awards can be ego driven, but I know that it was an art house film. So you didn't go into that looking for that kind of validation and acclaim. And yet you got so much from that really independent documentary. And that's my vibe. That's completely my vibe. Yeah. Next time the actress featured. Thank you. We we gotta collaborate, right? We gotta no, 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 we gotta collaborate. I don't care. I don't care. I'm due for a new project, so let's (laughs) talk, right? You do. I'm just to be there, okay, with you. I'm there. We're due for a new one. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I um, it wasn't it wasn't for, and you're very right. We can very easily get into this egotistical sort of space around, oh, and and our endorphins run because this is what you know we're getting all these sort of like kind of accolades from all over the world. Um, for me, it was a it was. It was, um, it made me feel secure in the fact that actually the, my, my message could resonate with more Absolutely. people. And so for me, that was more than anything else that what, what was important. So having, you know, gone to award ceremonies from all the way from Bali to Hollywood and, um, and see that people connected with it and speak about conversations in the film and, that was amazing. You know, they could keep the trophies and stuff, mm-hmm. which is cool. It looks nice in the cabinet. But uh, the fact that it connected with people all over the world, that's really the beauty in it more than anything I else. I know you're all about impact, and I love that about you. Do you just come from, back from Berlin in May? Okay, we're going to talk about that. But you see, my mind's all over the place. This is what I like. This is when I have an interesting guest because I'm like, let's go take it back to the very, very beginning. Cape Town, penniless students, District 6. I'm from Langa, so I know that vibe. I, I know what it's, at, uh, humble beginnings. Take us back to the younger you, student you, life you. 
So I come from a, a working class family that comes from District 6, which, like uh, Sophia Town, was sort of pushed out during the Group Areas Act um, in the 1960s. And so uh, my parents didn't finish high school. So I come, I'm the first generation of my family to go to university, um, finish school and go to university. And then in the process of needing to do that, I need to pay back my student loans, which is just so prevalent in today's times when we speak about, you know, fees must fall and all of these things. And so uh, my business partner, Amra, and I start a business and uh, to pay back our student loans primarily. And um, we would take public transport. Uh, we would jump on the trains and we say that our first pitches were rehearsed on the trains and crafted on the streets as we walked to our first pitches. And yeah, if I think back now, How old were you then? I was 22 at the time, is... You know, we were ambitious novices, right? Which is a dangerous place to be. And um, I think having those roots, you know, having an old warehouse in Woodstock, you know, Cape Town a little bit, is with no internet, um, surrounded by, you know, kind of, um, you know, poor people, working class people all around you. Um, when that's where you start um, and those are your roots, you take that with you wherever you go. And so when I speak to some of the people in my team now, and I say, tell me, tell me about your journey to get to work. And they say, well, I wake up at four mm -hmm. in the morning mm -hmm. and I bath my nephew. Mm -hmm. And then I leave the house at half past four and I get to work at eight o'clock and I have a smile on my face. And, and so it makes you so much more of an empathetic leader when you come from a space like that. And so, you know, I've, I've moved on and um, I have my own ideas of Cape Town now, actually, in terms of kind of things. I think some of the trauma of coming from Cape Town a little bit and like see, seeing that divide and sort of listen to okay finish because oh, I, I, yeah. I could definitely add with you yeah and so maybe you come from you feel the same way I feel like, the same way I struggle to be there because absolutely you know what Shukri, I, I love this conversation it took me leaving Cape Town to understand how traditional how orthodox and how racist it still is today. Absolutely. Today, because there it's like you're swept. And yes, I mean, we're in our 40s, so I know exactly what generation we're coming from. UCT, we're thinking everyone's the same because it's so, you know, you, you see everyone from so colors, but it's so not. The first time I realized as a Cape Tonian yeah. that you can be black and drive a Mercedes Benz was when I came to Johannesburg. You know, I find that, you know, I tell my friends in Cape Town, I say, look around this restaurant. There are no, no black, black people, people besides the people taking our glasses there are away. No black people. That's not okay. You know, this is not, I feel uncomfortable. And so I very consciously choose to live in Joburg and I'm a very proud Joburger, even though, um, it, as you rightfully say, that's where my roots come from. So I have this, I, it's an important message that I have to spread to people globally to understand that, um, that paradox and where I come from. Um, but in South Africa, I, um, you know, to everyone from Cape Town listening to this, I encourage you to, to, to step out of that, to, to come to, you know, other parts of South Africa and actually experience things that when in a world that is more integrated, that is more like it should be in this country. You, you know what? I just did a recent shoot for a specific, uh, a brand, would you want to say? And on set, Shagri, there are no black people. And I'm like, not even intern. Not even a stand by what, what, nothing, you know, and it breaks my heart that really as being an international, you know, place, you know, in Africa that, that is still happening. And I, 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 hence coming to your hashtag create movement, which is the deconstruction and decolonization of the creative industries. But before we jump into that, what characteristics have do you have now as a CEO and a co-founder 
of really a groundbreaking uh, um, company uh, called Fault, and it's so perfectly named, um, that comes from humble beginnings. What are the characteristics that have carried you through to be that kind of leader? I think the key word for me is empathy. Um, and I think that's both internally um, for the people around you, because in order to be successful, you have to attract the right people that believe in your vision mm-hmm. and then to have empathy for the stories that you tell. And I think that, you know, as an actress, again, that ability to have a sense of empathy is really the most important thing. And as I've grown as a leader, you know, I, I've, I've realized the value in, in stepping back and letting people do what they do best and, and listening more and, you know, perhaps being taking less control and realizing that that's more empowering than anything else. So, look, it's a journey for me every day. You know, we kind of, I think, lead, leadership and um, and being, a, in inverted commas, a CEO is something that we, we're continually learning and it's an on-the-learning job. What's the hardest lesson you've learned so far in life? I think I think the hard lesson as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. is that the world is not set up to help you. <laughs> so, you know, from it's so hard is uh, and again, I think people, so you know, in a world, um, there's a book called um, "Banker to the Poor" by Muhammad Yunus, where they "Banker to the Poor," which I had a and, okay, and "Banker he, to the Poor," and he, yeah. um, I'll remind you afterwards, remind and he. He speaks about when people get jobs, middle class, nice professional jobs. He says that they're like they get soaked in warm water and all their edges come off and they become soft. And that's what you find is that people, they can't relate to people that are actually trying to be out there having their own hustle. So when it's like, hey, please give me a chance. Hey, can you give me a line of credit? Can you do this? Can you do that? It's just no, 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 no. And so what you have to work really hard on is not becoming too hard because it's so easy to become bitter and hard because you're the only person in this world that's actually out there that's got your back. And so, you know, doing things like doing unwritten, spending time out in different places kind of draws you back and softens you to what you need to be able to, you know, appreciate about this world. And you've got to be that, you know what I mean? It's one thing just to say that we are softer and giving and generous and compassionate and empathetic, but also being that. Let's go to um, the article you wrote. Um, after Sir Martin, a time for reflection. Can you just give it to us in a package and then we'll just break down a couple of points, which I found interesting. Yeah, look, in, in principle, and let me, let me, let me start off with, uh, what, who, who is, uh, Sir Martin? Yeah, so let me, let me start off with a little bit of humility and, okay. and say that Sir Martin Sorrell is a formidable businessman and entrepreneur and, and yeah. some, and someone that is probably, we, we can learn a lot from uh, yeah. in terms of building an empire. Yeah. He is, uh, he was the, um, CEO of WPP, which is one of the big four global advertising media groups in, in the world yeah. and owns probably the lion's share of the advertising industry in South Africa and different parts of Africa and certainly the world. Mm. And so what I saw when he stepped down unceremoniously Mm. was that people were like mourning his loss. And as much as I um, am mindful of the fact that we need to learn from him, the fact that he brought certain structures in place and linear thinking to a non-linear industry and all of that, I said, hey guys, we actually need to take stock and realize that we our our, our creative industry and advertising industry in this particular time uh, instance is owned by foreign-owned hegemonic companies. Absolutely. And 
So let's not mourn this. Let's take this as an opportunity to, to take back our industries so that we can tell our own stories. You know, I think uh, far too often it's the, publish- it's the internationally owned publishers that own our stories, even when mm-hmm. we tell it. And it's our, our people. Our archives are in somewhere in the USA. Absolutely. Sarah Bartman. Getting her archives, absolutely, yeah. And so this idea of like, you know, neo-colonialism and at university, you know, I, you know, Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyerere were some of the, the great, you know, authors and things that I read. What did you love about Julius Nyerere? Because I love him too. You know, I, I think something that stood out to me, which I think that I, I still reflect on today is that he says that development by an outside source is by its very nature lost to that outside source. And so it's about that self-determination that we need to have. And so, you know, we live in a multilateral world. We're not here to cut out, you know, foreign direct investment. Absolutely. But we need to create um, conditions in which local ownership and how people are owning the stories that we I tell. Know. And I think that people are not conscious of that. And I think that's, that's really what the, what the key thing is around that particular article. And, that the, and in creative spaces, that's now more pertinent, urgent, more than ever. When we talk about uh, sustainability of our stories and the viability of our stories, what can we say in reflection to what you wrote in that article? Look, I think um, from an advertising perspective, yeah. we need to be um, we need to be more. And again, this is when people switch off, right? We need to be more authentic. We need to tell real cultural narratives. Absolutely. We can't have these like dancing tembis around a you know a wash bucket in a township environment like it's it's patronizing it's ridiculous you know more than two and, decades and that's the later. only view way of viewpoints that we've seen as absolutely that, that we've seen as so yeah. we need to tell real cultural narratives we need to realize of this time and culture of this time and culture we need to realize you know i think from an advertising perspective yeah. and i often say this to people is that advertising by its very nature can be a noble craft when you go out there and you actually help people sell their products and services because sales, the ability to sell something is, is something that people need to be able to do. Whether it's your son or daughter selling lemonade on the side of the road, that ability to make a sale, there's, this, there's an inherent dignity that, you know, that is felt from that. And so, mm. so I think that as, adver- and dignity. So, so, so advertisers, we need to, we need to take much more of a responsibility around the stories that we tell. So who's owning the story? Who are we talking about? Who is the target market beyond the data? Who are we really talking about? Like, don't give me algorithms. Don't give me big data. But, like, let's strip that away. And what are the stories that we're trying to tell? That comes to me, the words that come from you, what I'm, I'm feeling is integrity and accountability and respect and dignity. Mm. Okay, let's take it back to May where you were at, invited to the G20 Global Solutions 2018 Summit in Berlin. Tell us about that. Was that exciting? Awesome. Young <laughs> people from all over the world. Um, you know, did that in and of itself, being in Berlin in the middle of summer, oh my gosh, Dude. so cool. I mean, you know, <laughs> when you talk about like liberal, like they were the home of liberalism, yeah. like Western liberalism, like yeah. Berlin is that, right? It doesn't matter if you straight... Sometimes straight, you know, yeah, you know, yes. like it doesn't matter what you are, oh, you're accepted and that is what it is. So it was a really interesting space to kind of be in just by virtue of, of the actual geographical location. And then I was surrounded by all these policymakers and all these people that were, you know, have done massive research yeah, and papers. written lots of books and yeah, all of these yeah, things. Yeah. And, and so what, you, but what you realize is that as, as a, as a South African and we place these self limitations on ourselves is you go there and you have something to say. That people are interested in. You have solutions to some of these global problems. And so what, what, what happened was I became, uh, very quickly became sort of a spokesperson for 
people from Brazil, India, Indonesia, Russia. How's that? Because there's a commonality around the fact that we come from developing nations, if you like. And so when they speak about multilateralism and open and you know what you, you know the look you have yeah it's like a nice you know mixed vibe they're going on there we'll tweet a picture of how Shukri looks not too shabby y'all not too shabby yes so <laughs> no and so and so this is the thing right and so they speak about this and we're like can we cut the bullshit. <laughs> When we talk about opening the book, they talk about the rise of populism and nationalism and all of these things, which we understand, right? And we say, yes, we need to open the borders, but not if it perpetuates existing colonial business patterns. And that's the same in South Africa. It's the same in Brazil. It's the same in India. And so um, I was asked to speak um, on the stage in front of 1,300 people from all over the world. So definitely the highlight in my speaking career. And um, share the stage with Professor Jeff Sachs, who wrote The End of Poverty, and he's the special advisor to this UN Secretary General. That is incredible. And talk that about, is incredible. And actually say to him, look, you know, we as South Africans, um, we've been dealing with inequality for a long time. And these are some of the things that are continue to exist within our world. So it was amazing. And um, for me to feel like a policymaker for a while and actually be there, and I, got in, I get invited back again next year. So I'll Do be going you? back again. But, so. but babe, I mean, we can't consider ourselves young global shapers anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Like, we don't want to leave that young kind of, you know, definition. Ever, no, next ever. year I'm not young anymore. I scrape. <laughs> In this year, so um, next year I'm not young. Next year I'm just a policymaker. So yeah. Okay, this is the t- time I like to play quick fire. So I'm going to say a word or two, and you just give me your automatic response to that. Ready? Yeah. Fourth Industrial Revolution. I think connectedness. I think connecting people from all over the world. Okay. Oh, you're you're good. Okay. Diversity versus inclusion. I think. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's, um, they're both. I think that if we search for diversity, you'll by its very nature be more inclusive, okay. whether that's around racial or gender lines or anything of the nature. Love it. Shared value. So shared value, something that I'm really passionate Me about. Too. Really, really passionate Me about. Too. I think about having a broader stakeholder, list of stakeholders. So whether we're trying to achieve something as a business, what are our broader stakeholders in terms of our community, the people that work for us? We need to fundamentally shift the role that a business plays in society. Equity, equity, equity. That's my vibe. Okay. Okay. You're good. Okay. okay. Uh, profit meets purpose. Again, you like that? I like that, right? So exactly that. Can we can we actually match, you know, kind of uh, financial metrics with social metrics? Gosh, you're good. Pride factor. That's just something. Yeah, let's think about it. We can create pride I, I, factor. I, I think I think that, and I, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go with sort of um, the self limitations that we place on ourselves again. You know, as people that whether you whether you're a business person and as an entrepreneur, I think that ability to have pride in yourself. That's what you need more than anything. And so as young people, we need to develop that pride in, in young kids because they become the next generation of entrepreneurs. So I went to uh, uh, the, uh, the director's event, which is the biggest boardroom in South Africa. Nice, nice, cool event. Oh, networking, you know. Um, and uh, there I picked up the term that President Cyril got from our uh, belated veteran singer, Hugh Masagelopra, Hugh, called Tuma Mina which is just a, a reflected rhetoric on let us lead the way as South Africans. Let us do it together. Um, a, 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 a rhetoric on teamwork and collaborations and that we all have a responsibility and duty to each other and to our youth and to our country. Would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, without getting too political around it, I think as a leader, you need 
Um, you need rhetoric. You need slogans. You need to lay down a value base. You can't do everything. You can only create a framework in which we have uh, an energy and a feeling that we can go out there and do that on a micro level. And I think that um, without get, as I say, with without taking sides on a political basis, yeah. I think that's what we need. And it, and if it means holding up some of the the slogans and the sayings of mm. our national heroes, mm. then 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 I find that amazing. And you know what? And what I love about it, it's not uh, party politics because we don't do that. You know what I mean? It's just a rhetoric that South Africans can fit into, which is awesome. Um, tell me something that people really don't know about you: your personality, your family. So your dad and your hubby. Lots of things going on in your life. How are the kids? How's wife? How's moving to Johannesburg? Yeah, it's, are they happy? Yeah, I'm. Listen, I, as I said, I'm happy. I'm a proud Joe Burger now. I've been here for six, seven years, um, so I'm a proud Joe Burger. I am. I am. I think what people uh, realize is they define me by what I do at work, and and I'm fine with that because I think my personal life is my personal life. But I am uh, constantly in search of balance, you know, in in all aspects, and I think we should all be. And so I think that's what people don't really realize it's very easy to and as in Afrikaans we say how blank and poor and say mm. you know this is what's happening this is the party line this is the company line and mm. and um but um yeah you know the secret to having it all is knowing that you already do and that's a wrap I'm joking <laughs> never that's power um okay we are wrapping it up it goes quickly, huh? Yeah, absolutely. We, we I like fun. the quick fire stuff. That, that, Did that you like that? Us, it gets that us fast tracks us through a lot of stuff, which is cool. I'm cool, eh? Yeah. Am I good? Yeah, you Am are I good? good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk about create movement. Hashtag. So, I mean, yeah, create, create movement for me is about, and it's something I spoke about at the G20 summit as well. And it's about sort of people realize, not realizing on a global level, the fact that they are, um, these, you know, foreign owned companies that own like the whole sort of ecosystems of economies in Africa, particularly. And, um, and I think. And we're not saying no to foreign investment. No, we're not. We can't. But, but what we are saying is to people that are within those ecosystems is to fight for that. So let's fight for shared prosperity models. Let's fight for kind of, as you rightfully said, kind of, um, shared value. Let's fight for those kind of things because. I think all too often, as black people, we get into um, positions of power Silos. and we hold on Silos. for dear life. We're Absolutely. like, hey, I'm the black person in the room, great. And um, and that talks again to that self-limitation we have of ourselves. Like, you can be a world-class black South African or black African and lead and coach and develop and nurture underneath you and continue to fight change. Um and that's my message, you know. Uh, for me, this is not a, a, a black-white conversation. This is some of the most empowering decisions that I've ever been made have been made by white people in South Africa for me, you know. And that's and that's and, and I want to say that categorically is that mm. we need to have a much broader view of of, of what we need to do. Um, and so that's really what Create Movement's all about. As an entrepreneurial activist, and I love that term. I think I want to call myself that. That's a nice term. Um, tell us about the. Um Obviously, the fort, but the talent hub side of it. So that's the skills and the training and all the good stuff. Mm. So yeah, fort. We are, um, you know, an agency of thinkers, makers, and creators, and we call ourselves storytellers for a connected world. That's my final punt. <laughs> promise. Um, but that was that was pretty smooth, right? You know, yeah, sure. I have it. Yeah. No, I have it on my cue card here. Dude, no. Yeah. Um, so, um, but you know, I think what what really what really kind of you know wakes me up in the morning is to is to develop young people and um 
and not only young people, to develop people holistically. And so what I love to do, and this is what I tell people, is that I want you to be strong enough to go off and start your own business. So in our talent hub, we bring predominantly we bring some of the best people into our organization, which is fine and fair. And hopefully we can fast track them as leaders. And if they move on to other organizations and become leaders, they great, awesome. That's what I want. That's that's our role. You know, I think that our educational institutions are sort of not in touch with what's needed. And so Absolutely. we we need. I think all businesses need to be Absolutely. educational businesses. You know. Um, and so that's something that is um, super cool and that we have, you know, an amazing team that run that. And so to young people, absolutely, you know, we have uh, a youth board, you know, there's, uh, you know, which actually you can still apply for. And so you consult to me on a quarterly basis <laughs> because how can we possibly know what's best in the future if we're not speaking to our young people? So we have a youth board. We have an internship That's a very program. smart idea. Yeah. That's so. a very smart idea. Talking about education. So you have a degree in law and business at UCT. Um, you know what? I have plenty of conversations that our education system, whether it is from primary, grade R, early childhood development, all the way up to technical and tertiary education, that is not preparing our youth for the marketplace as it is today. At the director's event, which I was talking about, they were like, and these are hardcore professors in uh, varsities as we speak, Stellenbosch, Witz, UCT, saying that, you know what, if you want to go to varsity in this day and age, it means that you are prepared to read encyclopedias. And that's kind of your uh, knowledge intake. What is your spin or intake of education and is it preparing our kids to be creators of employment or workers and being employers? Are they ready for the market? So, no, right? So, I mean, I think uh, people come out of our, our schooling system thoroughly uneducated. You know, they learn uh, right and wrong answer subjects. So, you can come out with seven A's and actually not know anything Nothing. about yourself or about the world. Correct. And so, what I tell people from an education perspective is throw away um, uh, coloring in books. Don't color in lines because the lines don't exist. Don't teach people to color in or kids to color in the lines. Give them a blank piece of paper and tell them to draw. And I tell people that allow your kids to play because what I find is that people in the workplace who've been taught to be rigid and to do all of these things find it very hard to play. And what, what is play? Play is imagination. And what is imagination? Innovation. The only way you can actually move beyond what you currently have is to imagine it. And so we have to work on the creativity and imagination of our young people. Tell us the positive points of your relationship and partnership and teamwork and collaboration with Amir Singh. So the, the, the key uh, part the of best our, thing? The best thing is that we, he doesn't want to be the CEO. <laughs> That's the best thing about it. And he wants to make and create stuff. That's what he is. He's a maker. And so our roles have been just so clearly defined. Um, people rally behind him as a maker. People rally behind me as a leader of a system. Um, and we have managed to remain friends and build a business. And we are so blessed. You know, we were in London last week as well, so just blessed. on a business trip to be as, as mates. So you so go to meetings and we can click on and off and have a strong we kind of close a million rand deal and then so click off and be friends and talk about, you know, soccer and rugby, you know? And so, um, it's been an amazing 12 year journey and, um, and like, yeah. So, um, you're blessed. blessed. Last two questions. Cool. Um, Every day, your top priority being a CEO is dot, dot, dot. Uh, my top priority 
is the people in my organization. That I think if you look after the people, they look after the systems that therefore look after um, you know, the organization. Uh, the, the, the most finite and short definition of what a business should do is meet clients' needs, right? However, I think that um, as a CEO, I need to be delivering to all my stakeholders. All, operative word being all my stakeholders. Um, so that's what a CEO wakes up in the morning, not to deliver value to just to its shareholders, but to all its stakeholders. Okay, I promise now I'll ask two questions. Okay. I can't we stop said, with you. You can't count either, <laughs> right? That's like, that's, I mean, I don't know if you can't stop or you can't count, but either way, I'm enjoying this. Let's do it. Um, how do you switch off, shut down? Because I believe that true genius means shutting down recovery and rest at some point. How do you do that? With great difficulty. Um, first of Come all, um, but, but, but I think that, you know, coming home and being in an environment where you, um, th- where you like have to wash the dishes and clean the table and just get stuck into things and kind of bath home kids life, and yeah. home life is what kind of, I think to be able to traverse those two worlds is tough because you, again, like you said earlier, you operate in this ego world. I did this. We did that. Boom, boom. And you come and actually nobody cares. They just want you to be there and be present. Be dead. So for me, I need a, I need a lot of alone time. I think, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, people draw energy from me. And so I need to replenish that. And so whether that's just sitting by myself in a coffee shop, reading the newspaper, um, we need that alone time to like actually repair. Last question for real. No, but then now we're counting. That's fine. You said two and we did one, so we won one still. Yeah. If you had to talk to 20 or one year old Shukri about your journey, what would you say to yourself at 21 years old? Ah, I've thought about that enough. Um, you know, I, I think that I would tell him to enjoy every step of the way. Yeah. And to focus on going far and not fast um, because um, that's really the goal uh, more than more than kind of getting there quickly. I think when you 20, 20 years old, you want your, your idea of success is quite different to what it is, you know, 12 years later. That's globally awarded serving on numerous boards, representing Africa's new creative landscape, a social entrepreneur with a heart of gold, with continental focus and a global impactor. Shukri Tovi, social entrepreneur, storyteller, limitless thinker, a great fun to be with, top CEO, under 40, CEO and co-founder of Fort. Thank you so much for being on my show. Kluby, thank you. Honored to be here. And um, uh, forwards and upwards to you as well. So that's Kluby Moyer Arnold and Shukri Tovi right here on Future CEOs. Hashtag Startup of the Week. Bye. This is CliffCentral.com.